What's going on, everybody? This is Jerome Moore, host and creator of Deep Dish Conversations. And firstly, I want to say thank you for all of support and thank you for exploring the perspectives of social change with me on this platform. I want to encourage you all to like, subscribe, and follow us on YouTube and on your favorite podcast listening platform. And make sure you give us a five-star rating if you're loving the Deep Dish Conversations. I appreciate all of the support again. I hope you all enjoy this episode. This is Deep Dish Conversations, a series in which I, Jerome Moore, sits down with prominent figures in Nashville, Tennessee to talk about social issues over amazing deep dish pizza. Deep Dish Conversations models how to have conversations about deep issues around racism, housing, policing, poverty, and more. Plus, you will get an idea for where to get your next slice of pizza from. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy Deep Dish Conversations. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Deep Dish Conversations. And uh, we got an infamous guest, Honorable Judge Sheila Calloway, the Honorable. You know, that's a big H on that. That's a, that's a proper noun. <laughs> I went to school. That's, I a, proper, it. that's a proper noun. Um, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Jerome. I'm super excited about this opportunity and love the pizza. See, it's, she's super excited about the pizza. I'm super excited about the pizza. Now, what about me? What about the with conversation? As well. <laughs> I love Jerome as well. I love that pizza, though. It's wonderful. How is it? Absolutely wonderful. You got the, what, what did you get, though? I got the deep dish meat lovers. Okay. So it's got everything on it. Everything I could ever think. And I'm going to be highly impressed if she finished this. I'm going to finish her. it. I'm going to be highly impressed. I got the spinach margarita, <laughs> thin crust, because I'm trying to be thin. Or, you know. So I can look good for y'all. <laughs> and for myself. But I'm trying to be thin someday, but not today. Hey, not look, today. Look. You look good how you look, you know. Hey, man. Black is always beautiful. No matter shape, size, skin this it's always hey, beautiful. Man. It's always hey, beautiful. Man. And you look beautiful as always. Thank you. Even though I know you probably, you know, got one of the most stressful jobs <laughs> in Nashville. I you do don't wear a- it on your face. I appreciate that. So let's 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 get into it. And while we eating and enjoying this pizza, originally from Kentucky, Louisville, Kentucky. That is correct. How was growing up there? You know, growing up in Kentucky was awesome. I uh, had the privilege to grow up with my parents, who are still married and together today. Okay. Um, Fifty-four years later, I think they're oh, still wow. married. It'll be they'll be celebrating fifty-five years of marriage oh, this wow. year. Um, Everybody can't say that. <laughs> Everybody can't say that. Everybody cannot say that. And my parents taught me a lot about loving others. Okay. And a lot about helping your helping other people. Now, literally, when I grew up there, I thought we were super dysfunctional. Right. Because they made us do everything together. Right. You know, like Friday nights when my friends were at the games mm-hmm. and they're hanging out. We had to go out to dinner with my parents. And I'd be like, well, why do we why does everybody else get to go out and I don't? Right. And so I was a little, um, <laughs> I, I probably was the one in the family that pushed that. Like, I want to go with my friends and I want to do these things. How many, so how many siblings do you have? I just, it's just me and my older sister. Okay, so, so you're the, the youngest. I'm the baby. Oh. I am the baby. Oh. Mm. <laughs> but, you know, them, they, them babies. Yes, mm. yes, yes, the babies. But they honestly taught me in ways that I would not understand until I stepped into the job of a public defender, mm-hmm. how important family was and how important it was to have structured time together. Right. Um, how important that was. And all throughout, every time I can remember, they were always helping people. Mm-hmm. So like if um, some cousin who probably wasn't really a cousin mm-hmm. needed a place to stay for a couple of weeks, right. they were at our house. Um. 
uh, caring, I, loving, giving, caring, loving, giving. They they will give you the shirt off their back. Mm. They'll give you a place to stay. They, right. Those things they implanted in me right. from early on. And that helped to make who who I am today. So anybody in Louisville, Kentucky that needs a place to stay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They'll do it. <laughs> so what what impact did they have on you or influence did they had on you in the role that you are leading up to the role that you are now as the juvenile court judge? So other than just learning how to help people mm-hmm. and to love people and to help people get a second chance. Uh-huh. You know, there wasn't much else about the law or the legal system that they influenced me on. I remember, my, I'll, I'll say this, my mom was one of those people that kept everything that me and my sister did. Mm-hmm. And so every paper, every little project, she would just box them up and, you know, first grade, second grade box them. Mm-hmm. Uh, one day when, after both of us had moved out of the house, they moved to a bigger house but they told us to come and get our stuff. Right. And I can't understand that. I'm still a little bitter about that. <laughs> First of all, I'm bitter because you got a bigger house after I left. That's how they always do. Yeah. You, you would think they downsize like, now. Nah, you would gonna, think they would downsize. Nah, we want to enjoy more space without you. Right. That's what, that's what they said. And not only are we going to enjoy more space without you, we want you to come get your stuff. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like, whenever you can come get it. Like, yes. Yeah. We, we, no, no, we, no. We want you to come get it now. <laughs> we not moving it to the new house. I thought. <laughs> so wherever you at now, take your stuff with you. It ain't no, this ain't no storage unit. This ain't no story. That's what they said. This ain't no storage unit. So anyhow, so I went to get my stuff, and I was looking in my fourth grade box, and I wrote a paper in fourth grade that said, when I grow up, I wanted to be a lawyer and help people. Wow. And I have absolutely no idea what made me say that. Um, there's no lawyers in our family at the time. Wow. Um, the only thing I could possibly think is that we had like some kind of career day right. at school and I heard a lawyer talk and that's probably what I wanted to do. Wow. And that's amazing because uh, we just had uh, Dr. Sekou Franklin on here <laughs> and he said something similar like he didn't have any really like influence or nothing that like just really struck him to say I don't, I don't know how I got into this work but right. I'm here and it just happened. I just kind of fell into it. So that's amazing that people are just kind of like just blessed with being in the right positions at the right time. Absolutely. And it works out. Absolutely. It's having those dreams. And I, right. I will tell you the biggest thing that my parents did for me is that every step of the way, they kept reminding me. Right. They kept reminding me, you've got to do better on your on your grades because right. you're going to law school. Right. If you're going to be a lawyer, you have right. to have good grades. Right. And, you know, they encouraged me to do things like join the debate club right. at, um, in high school because right. that would be something that helped me to become a lawyer. Right. And so... You know, you know, directly they didn't have anything to do with me going to law. Right. But absolutely by their influence and their right. their support. Yeah, just yeah, supporting presence. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think I think that supporting presence played a plays a huge part in the development of a child. Um and we we'll get into it a little bit, but I've realized that after like high school and college kind of what was maybe like the separating factor of me going a certain direction compared to some of my like peers in school you know same you know social economic background and all those things but what i realized one of the main factors was 
is that like I had present parents. Even though my parents were divorced, they was very in my life and had a, a hand. Sometimes maybe it's a pinky, <laughs> but they had something on me that can reel me back in. So I, I that's that's that's. That's I know that's really important in your work and your job and I, and, it, and it makes sense now why you know you're in the position that you're in. Um, so let's go get into the deep stuff, y'all. We got the background. Shout out to the family. Thank you. <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> so so um, and just a shout out to Vanderbilt. You know you're a graduate of Vanderbilt University. I am. Here. I'm, I'm a little it, down today, right. but. <laughs> Yeah, y'all, y'all just lost the we national lost stage the national baseball. champion in baseball. And Vanderbilt is in like notorious for winning those things. A Absolutely. lot of yeah. How do I know that? Like, how <laughs> <laughs> yep. about ESPN? We, Thank you. We've been the national champions twice. Shout out to Vanderbilt. I think hey, 2008, sponsor and Vanderbilt. <laughs> you know, come on through. Come on, Vandy, you got this. <laughs> but um, is, is that what brought you to Nashville? Uh, yes. Okay. I came here to go to school at Vanderbilt. Okay. I went both for my undergraduate degree, right. which was in communication, okay. and then my law degree as well. So okay. I, I stayed. I went to Vanderbilt seven years in a row. Well, you couldn't go back home, so, you know. They, and I couldn't go back to, home. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. they got a bigger house, and they said there wasn't no room for me. <laughs> How you get a bigger house if you ain't got room for your child? But anyhow. <laughs> Parents be hard on kids They be sometimes. hard on kids. So Nashville is, is you know. It city, you know, as as we, you know, so some people like to call it. Um, but in your position, I know you get to see a, you know, a different perspective of Nashville on a daily basis that you know your normal everyday people are, really don't get to see. And so, can you break down to us like your role, your everyday role, and your process of your job? Absolutely, uh, I have the best job in Nashville. The okay. absolute best job. All right. As a juvenile court judge, I have the best opportunity to influence um, so many families and children in our community, uh, more so than anybody else. And that's why I absolutely love my job. I have a staff of about 125 people. Woo. I run a separate detention facility. I just got to plug this in. Okay. When she says staff, when she pulled up, she had somebody else come pick up a car. <laughs> I don't know what staff role that is, but that's some boss level stuff right there. She said, yeah, yeah, I'm hard somebody come pick. I was like, oh, oh okay, yeah, don't worry about it. Only because I couldn't afford the parking in Nashville. Yeah, you just got a whole employee that just picks up your car. Yeah, that's just a lot cheaper. It's a lot cheaper. A lot about the national parking prices. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Okay. I just had to plug that in because I just thought that yeah. was your boss. But uh, so, best job in the world. Hundred and hundred twenty-five thousand staff members. You say, yeah, right? a thousand staff employees. I have 120, 125 employees, uh-huh. give and take a few here and there. Um, we run a detention facility that I'm responsible for that has about eighty employees. Okay. Um, they house on average about now thirty youth. Okay. Um, 24 hour 24-7 okay. hour facility wow. um, and we have the opportunity and the ability to partner with so many different agencies mm-hmm. around our community to make sure that all of our um, families and their, and their children are doing well. Um, wow. When I when people break down the cases, I actually do hear cases. I right. sit on the bench every day. Okay. Um, I, I usually hear cases from nine o'clock in the morning till four to four thirty five o'clock in the evening. It's a long day. Uh, with the lunch break. <laughs> with the lunch break, I gotta have my lunch break. I always tell.
tell all the litigants that are in the courtroom, mm-hmm. you want me to take a break for lunch. Right. Because if you don't, <laughs> it's not happy. <laughs> it's not pretty on the other side of no lunch. But um, so I do hear cases every day. The nature of the cases that we hear, we break. I can break down in basically three categories. Okay. Um, the first category is that we hear primarily uh, the third of the cases are dealing with parents who are not married. Okay. And so if you are not married, never been married, you have kids right. together, any issues that you have right. with your children and co-parenting, right. they are heard in juvenile court. So okay. we do DNA testing. Okay. We, we need those. <laughs> we need those. We literally open up the envelope in court and okay. say, you are the daddy. Right, you right. are not the father. Oh, it's on Jerry Springer. And we Mar- do some Jerry Springer, Mar- 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 Povich. We have some Mar- <laughs> Mar- Povich moments in our courthouse. We need to put the, put the cameras in now. We do. do we do. Um, We determine who should be the primary residential parent, who should be the alternate residential parent. We determine how much time each parent should have with Mm -hmm. their child. And then for whoever's the alternate residential parent, how much they should pay in child support. And if they don't pay child support, what should happen to them if they don't? So I'm going to break this down. Okay. Because um, this is real deep. My father was on child support. Right. Uh, my dad was great, though. I, my dad's still great to this day. And I think, especially for a lot of black men, there's, I don't know the stats, and that's what you're here for, and you can break this down, um, that sometimes it's a struggle. Uh, when we want to, when black fathers want to be in their kid's life, that sometimes it's not them not wanting to be there, but it could be actually the mother preventing them, creating barriers. And I know that's not, that's not always the case, but these are things that, like, this, this is popular com- like talk, especially among blacks, man. And you hear horror stories like, oh, you know, you know, the baby mama dramas, or just mama dramas and things like that, especially when it comes to the custody of the kids. And so can you break down for us um, very, very quickly, if you can, that process on how joint custody or all, that whole process and child support and things like that? Because I think that'd be good for our listeners just to know that process and this, and I think to, to to alleviate or debunk any stereotypes that you know the mother always wins, uh, or has that been historically the case? And are things starting to change for that because the system recognizes like we're kind of being kind of biased uh, or even sexist, I would say, towards you know one side than the other. Absolutely, and I love to talk about this because. Um, I definitely know that perception, uh-huh. and that perception was real. Oh, wow. It was real. Wow. That um, there were a lot of men who were stepping forward to be fathers mm-hmm. and to be the best father they can, right. to spend time with their children. Right. And sometimes it's the mother. Sometimes it's just the system in general right. that prevents that from happening. Right. What I know based on the stat, the, excuse me, based on the statistics and the studies that are across the nation, that children who grow up with parents who are active in their lives mm-hmm. have least likelihood of entering into the criminal justice system. And so if I am to prevent problems from happening right. and prevent crimes and right. pre- prevent our young folk from having um, contact with the system, right. I need to work on the parents. Right. I need to make sure that that child has both parents in their lives. Right. And because of that, we have what we call our parental assistance court. Okay. We have right now three parental assistant court specialists. We call them our PACs. 
we will have, um, and eventually we'll have six. Okay. Um, we just got more money to, to bring in some more right. um, packs. Their job is to remove whatever the barriers are okay. from what, whoever the alternate residential parent is, right. to remove whatever barriers it is for them to be a part of that child's life. Um, you know, what the statute has changed as well. So okay. what the law used to say, the, the law still says that if you are unmarried, mm -hmm. the mother is presumed to be the guardian. That's the law still says that. But however now, once the father steps up to say, I am the father, I mm -hmm. want to be part of it, right. then we have to start with a basic understanding that both parents should have right. the maximum participation right. in their child's life right. as possible. So both parents right. should have maximum participation. So for me, that means you all start off evenly. Right. And then things make a difference. Like if right. there's a big difference and the child has to get to school right. and, you know, the father's in another county, right. that may, we may not be able to do week on, week off. Right. Or if, you know, there's um, other questionable things that right. happen, right. we may not be able to do it. But right. what the law says now is that you all start with each person having the maximum participation. Okay. And so it really depends on who the judge is, okay. how they interpret maximum participation. Right. But me and the magistrates are work for me, right. I'll recognize that that means equal time. Because, right. you know, I like to, when I have um, sometimes um, mothers on the case that come into the courtroom and they say, well, I only want him, he should only get to see him every other weekend. Mm -hmm. That's your opinion. Let's right. talk about that every other weekend. What right. does that mean? Right. So if you are dating someone right. and you really want to get to know this person and you really like them right. and you're thinking, maybe we can do a little more. Maybe we right. could... If you're dating them and you tell the person that you're dating that you really want to spend time with them, right. but you can only spend time with them every other weekend, mm -hmm. how does that make you feel? Yeah, not appreciated. Not appreciated. Right. If I'm only seeing you every, every other, other weekend, weekend. Right. by the time I get to see you, right. I'm relearning everything right. that I learned two right. weeks ago. Right. And it takes time. And, and, I'm, and, and I'm and that's what and, and just again we getting deep into my personal story, <laughs> but like that's as a, as a as a kid growing up I never understood that because that was a system my daddy was on and I had I got a great daddy right and I just didn't understand like why am I limited to every other weekend in a Wednesday you know it's like then it, as a child it just didn't make sense and you know and I and I. I've gotten past it as I got older. And then, you know, you get mature, your, your, your brain development, all that stuff. But I just never understood that about the system and, you know, kind of held a grudge against and, the system and because I, of that. I would. And, that, and that's <laughs> yeah. why we strongly believe it, sh it should start with maximum right. participation. And that right. means week on, week off, two mm -hmm. weeks on, two weeks off. But each parent should have the absolute maximum participation that they can. Right. You know, we encourage, we, we try our best to encourage parents to right. get along right. and talk to each other. Right. If you got to go to work and your work hours are nine to five right. and she got to go to work and her work hours are six to you know whatever right. gotta balance it out balance yeah. it out why right. don't you keep the job while she's at work and she keep the job while you're at sometimes work sometimes adults are not adults and that's sometimes why we adults are not absolutely <laughs> okay. and so we work with parents on teaching them how right. important it is right. to co-parent and I know this is hitting a lot of souls out there right <laughs> now <laughs> some, some of those souls are in this room <laughs> some of the crew they taking notes right now but uh <laughs> Really, <laughs> I'm jotting some down now, <laughs> just in case. Uh, but no, so 
what is so if I'm a single mother of, if I'm a, if I'm a mother or father, and um, I and and my partner's not allowing me to see my child uh, for whatever reason, and I feel very fit to be a part of my child's life, and I want to, what is the process? Uh, what is from day one? Um, let's say you know my mother's child is preventing me for, to see my child, and it's been two months. But maybe I have I'm, I'm reluctant because maybe I don't have the money to go through the process, get an attorney, and you know that's a lot of time. And maybe I feel like maybe she maybe she or he will change their mind, and you know I get to see him. But you know, I just think the system because of, of those perceptions, like I'm not gonna get the I'm not I'm I don't want to get put on child support. I'm already broke. I just like I I shouldn't have to go through this. You know, this is it's stressful. So what is that process for people who don't know and so they do know? And maybe this is touching somebody and maybe encourage them to go ahead and be a part of that process so they can be a part of the child's life. Absolutely. We are making the process so much easier than what you have explained what it used to be. We, again, and for me, we have labeled this year the year for the parent, where right. we are trying to do more to make people understand that it is okay to step up right. and try to be a parent. So you don't even necessarily have to have a lawyer to do this. Um, you can go to the juvenile court website and the forms are on there that you would have to fill out. Okay. If you don't think you have enough to pay for um, the filing of a petition, um, you can ask to be declared indigent okay. and we can waive some of the costs okay. for the filing. We do have to charge for serving the other parent, but okay. other than that, we can waive a lot of the costs. So it doesn't okay. cost that much. Yeah, I hear that. No, you, right, you, absolutely. Some things can be, can be waived. You absolutely. Gotta, you know. and, and we recommend that you come down <laughs> early as often, okay. early as possible because court hearings do take a while right um the sooner you get down there right. the better okay we have as i was talking earlier about the PACs, our um parental uh, parental court specialist parental assistant court specialist <laughs> <laughs> say, what does that stand for they are all trained mediators okay and so literally you can file your petition you can say i would love to try mediation right the parent gets served right. they say i'll agree to mediation right. you can do mediation before your case even goes to court work out an agreement as right. to what type of parenting time each parent gets and just have it announced when you come back to court okay and so things can happen a lot quicker if both parties are, if both parties are in agreement. agreement, if they're not agreement, right. then there is going to be court hearings that right. may take some time. Right. But from the very first time you go to court, there will be an interim order as to parenting time. Okay. And so, in the the magistrate that usually sets it from the beginning is a magistrate after my own heart, and he's going to do maximum time okay. as possible, right. unless you give him a good reason why you right. shouldn't until the next court order. What's going on, everybody? This is your host and creative Deep Dish Conversation, Jerome Moore. And I know you're enjoying this episode that you're watching currently. Make sure you hit that notification button and hit subscribe so you won't miss any of these amazing episodes. I appreciate y'all. Thank you for all love support. And continue watching the episode. I'll holler. This, 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 is, this, is, this is powerful. And it's like, you know, again, like, I, I was in, I'm directly affected by that system, right? And, uh, and so I think this is good. I think many of us are, you know, Directly or indirectly affected by by the juvenile court system, whether people know it, understand it or not. Absolutely. Technically, so I hope this really breaking this down and and again, especially for black men. Um, I can't really speak for black women. I'm not a black woman, <laughs> but especially for black men that you know we know we can be in our child's life and it don't has it cost us thousands of dollars. Absolutely. Here in, in Nashville, anyway, it might, I'm pretty sure like in different states and stuff is different statues and things like that. But at least now you know. 
you can go down, go to the website. Some of the some of the uh, the fees can be waived, and you can go ahead and go through that process. And it's not as uh, <clears throat> complex yep. as people maybe you know overthink it because you know. It's, it's just already in a stressful place. You're already in a stressful Absolutely. place. Absolutely. And can I add one more thing, Go too? Ahead, you, Go ahead. you said, Go ahead. you know, a lot of people don't want to file because they're afraid it'll get set on child right. support. Right. Um, you will have to pay child support. Okay. How's, However. Now, yeah. How is that? How is that? Because. So. The child support guidelines changed a couple of years ago. Okay. And so now. It looks at both parties' income. Okay. So it doesn't just look at what the father's making right. and come directly from the father. It looks at what the mother's making okay. and what the father's making. Okay. It looks at how much time each parent is say, is spending with your child. Okay. So if both of y'all are week on, week off, it's 182.5 okay. equal. Okay. And so 182.5, and if both of y'all make a minimum wage, there's probably not going to be child support. Okay. Uh, if you make a little more money than she does and you're still set equal time, right. you may have to pay a little. Right. But the um, way that the child support, and you can actually go to the state of Tennessee website, mm -hmm. pull in the it's child support calculator, okay. pull up the child support calculator, Damn. put in the numbers on your own, <laughs> and see how much your child support is going to be. Look, the, the calculator, that, 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 people are probably going to go straight to that. Let me see if I really need to go. <laughs> right. <laughs> If I can mediate this myself because this calculator ain't favorable. <laughs> Marty should have told him about the calculator. And, I, and I, you you get credit for if you pay health health insurance for your child, mm -hmm. that goes into child support calculation. Right. If you pay child care, like right. if the child has to go to daycare, that gets a part of your calculation. If you have other children, we're gonna turn this into a whole how to, you <laughs> yeah, know, video, a whole tutorial. <laughs> Because we saving people some time and people relieve. Oh, I, I, I Absolutely. Didn't know. But now this, now this, this is wow, wow. This is powerful. I didn't. I, I had no idea this is where this conversation was going to be going. And then, but I think I, I just know the perception as you mentioned mm -hmm. out there, especially for black men um, on dealing with this situation. And you just made it very simple. You just simplified it for a lot of people. I think. And hopefully a lot of people will be down at the courthouse and you see a wave of people. <laughs> hey, I, I see you on deep dish. Let's get, let's get to it. We will, we will welcome the people to come. Um, I want to change subjects. So the other, another third of the cases yeah, that we handle are the yeah. cases where parents are alleged to have abused or neglected their children. Okay. That's about a third of the cases. Okay. So literally what I tell people is when I think about what I do in juvenile court, Two-thirds of the stuff I do is about what the parents are doing to their children. Wow. So this is, what is, what are some of the craziest cases um, that you've heard uh, that that have been afflicted on uh, on kids by their own parents? Yeah. Uh, Just give us one. Just one to be good. These are difficult cases. Um, right. um, these are the ones that emotionally make you um, right. hurt. Right. Um, you know, we had a a parent who had a uh, unfortunately a drug addiction that wow. was hard to overcome. Wow. And this is probably one of the worst cases I, I've had of child abuse, where um, the parent, in order to um, I guess feed their addiction, mm -hmm. was allowing their child to be used. Wow. And, that's a difficult case because our job 
we don't prosecute the parents um, for anything. That happens in criminal court. Right. But what our job is to do is to figure out what's best for that child, whether that child should remain with that parent and get some services in, or whether that child should go to a relative right. or to a family friend or someone in the community, or whether that child has to go into the custody of the state, the foster care system. Right. Um, and, you know, to be truthful, our state isn't designed to take care of children well. Right. And so that's like the worst, you know, that's the right. least dress. I mean, that's the worst option that you want to do. Right. You would love to be able to have children go back to their families. Right. But sometimes the um, offenses are so extreme mm -hmm. or the drug addiction is so right. um, deep that right. it's hard to get them to a point where they can actually parent their child. And those are hard cases. Yeah, that is. Those are super hard cases. And that's stuff that you know, you hear, you know, probably often, but, you know, we see on TV, you hear, we're like, man, hey, this is, we see in movies and stuff, like, man, how could they, you know, but, like, this, these are things that, that actually go on in our Daily. own communities and cities. It might be your neighbor, you just never know sometimes. Daily. Dang. And, you know, we'll, we'll have cases, and it's unfortunate sometimes that, you know, you think of us being the it city. Right. Um, but it's not it for everyone. Right. And so a lot of our parents who are driven to do things because they've been left out. Right. If they are homeless, if right. they are unable to get good meals, food. Right. You know, we have so many people in our community that live in food deserts. And if you can't feed your child, right. what happens to that child? Right. That child ends up becoming neglected. Right. And a lot of times it's not because they wanted to neglect, right. but they were unable to get themselves in a position in our community right. where they can really be a good parent. Um, wow. And so I have two more things um, that's on my list of questions that I really, well, three actually, that I want to uh, talk to you about. Okay. One um, is the school to prison pipeline and how you see that being, how, how, how the school to prison pipeline, how your court impacts that um, in what way? So um, I'll, I'm going to answer this in two ways. Okay. Number one, there's definitely no question about it that there is a school to prison pipeline. What we know is that if youth who are expelled or suspended from school mm -hmm. um, have a higher likelihood of ending up in the criminal justice system. And it makes common sense. Right. Because if I'm suspended from school mm -hmm. and if I'm going home right. and probably my parent or parents have to work. Right. And they're not home to supervise. Right. <clears throat> what do I normally do? I'm going to stop you right there. And this is, and this is I guess this is a, a subs point to that question or to your response in a way how does SRO school resource offices have an effect on that school to prison pipeline because thinking if in, in, in Nashville <clears throat> I think uh, black kids uh, black students uh, uh, students of color are suspended or expelled like at 70% like it's ridiculous like it's, 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 it's crazy um, but if I'm if I'm interacting or coming in contact with a police officer, wouldn't that kind of make me more likely to probably be um, in the criminal justice system as a youth? And I know this is a conversation that's been going on. We're gonna have safer schools on here to talk more about it. But I want I want like just like what's your take on police officers in schools? 
So and how that maybe affects the school to prison pipeline. Absolutely. I have my I think my response to having school resource officers in the school has changed and evolved over time. Okay. I think um when they first started in the schools, there was a more of an enforcement type presence of okay. the schools. The so the um, SROs that we have in the school now are totally opposite from that. Um, I am super impressed. Literally, it started under um, um, Chief Anderson, but it has continued under Chief Drake, right. where there is a um, push for the SROs to understand trauma, right. to understand the youth that they work for, right. to not be enforcement in the schools, right. but to be a support. Right. Um, and they're doing that. They okay. train with us. Okay. They train with the you know health department. Okay. They train. They have an absolutely wonderful um, program. I can't call think of the name of it, but if a child is a part of any type of crime right. or um, a neglect dependency or any type of police call, right. then that night right. they call the school and say this child needs to be kept right. safe. Right. Because they understand <clears throat> the trauma might make that child. You know, if if, right. if I'm sitting here watching my parent get arrested, right. I'm uh, I'm uh, head, you know I'm, right. I'm uptight and I right. got to go to school the next day. Right. I'm uptight at school, right. and so now the school knows. Mm -mm. Don't don't right. agitate that kid. Right. Don't do anything to that kid. Right. Let that kid cool down. And so, so there's been a big push. And so, um, I, and I've talked to MNPD Chief Drake about okay. this, like in our conversations, um, community organizing stuff. Um, about SROs and so the two things that, that I hear and have, have heard is that it's the school staff that don't understand the roles of SROs so they try to make them do things that that's not really like the like behavior issues they don't that's not what they they that's not what they're there to do and so that's been the confusion and why a lot of people have problems with SROs in the schools because they think they're, they're, they're enforcing law when that's, that's what they should be doing. That's one thing. The second thing is that why not have mental health professionals or, or counselors, uh, school counselors, which Nashville, we, we, the state is in, we don't meet the ratio. I think it's like 250 to 1 or something like that. Uh, one counselor for every 250 students. Um, why not have more of those professionals and let police do policing outside like like fight crime do do that and not overburden themselves with trying to be exclusive to everything be be like in every fraction of like this national life like let the school be a place where like you know you get some school counselors and and um ah what's the name uh, i can't remember the name of like the proper name ah, i should know this i can't remember therapist uh, I, I'm gonna I stop you. Remember. Let me just say, go ahead, go ahead. you are in the heart and the mind of all of us that are in the system talking about these conversations. Right. And one of the things that um, Mayor Cooper just did was um, the, I guess, the unprecedented fully um, funding the school system. Right, right, and right. And what Dr. Battle has done mm -hmm. is said, we are using this money for mm -hmm. counselors, for nurses, right. and for restorative justice practitioners in the schools. And Perfect. so the money that they've, that they've gotten mm -hmm. is for that purpose. Perfect. And I think the, the um, I think, I, I can't remember if it was under Chief Drake or Chief Anderson, but they did move out um, the school resource officers from the alternative schools, right? And because 
exactly what you were saying. The alternative schools were using those school resource officers mm -hmm. to try and arrest kids and to try and try. Right. And they were like, no, 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 this is right. not healthy. This is not. Right. And um, uh, Dr. John, Dr. Myron Franklin is over there now. Okay. And it made a, a huge difference in the attitude right. and the comfort level of the students right. that are in there. Right. Because they were, you know, they were used right. to seeing police in a right. negative way. Right. Exactly. And so now that they don't see the police, right. they're calmer. Right. They're, they're more. And so I think that the schools and the police are moving towards that type of model. Um, but I will say that the SRO units that we have now, they want to be in schools. They want to work with kids. Right. They want to show kids the positive right. part. It wasn't always like that. Right. It was like sometimes the SROs, that was your assignment, right. whether you wanted it or not, right. whether you were good with kids or not, right. you were over there. Right. And they, that's not, yeah, yeah. That is not the system right. anymore. The system now is you want to do it. Right. You want to understand kids. You want to work with kids. Right. And that's why they, and the. And, and, and just to be transparent, I know Chief Drake, we, we've talked and um, I know in the future, because he, he referenced that, you know, he has he has colleagues like in Philadelphia, I believe, that have completely removed SROs yeah. and things are fine. And he's, he's, he's open to that, I know, in the future um, to transitioning to, you know, uh, if, if there's if there's a better model, I know from what he told me, he's 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 willing to to, to take that on. Um, it's at a, at a, you know not maybe at the pace that maybe community wants to take it all at the time, but you know he's willing to take that on and, and transition it and have those conversations. Um, and hopefully we can get Chief Drake going here. <laughs> you uh, will. Dr. Sure Battle will. too. Get on, let's get them all. Dr. Battle here. be here too. <laughs> um, how can we how can we keep kids out of jail? Absolutely. There are so many ways we can keep kids out Let of jail. Let us know. How can we keep them out of jail? We, there are so many things that we can do as a community to keep our youth out of jails. And I, will, I am happy to say that I started this job in 2014. Mm -hmm. And so we've been um, very intentional about keeping our records and seeing how many youth we have, mm -hmm. um, getting charged with things. Right. Um, since we looked at 2013, how many youth were being arrested in our community. And the number is around 4,000. Um, at the end of 2020, mm -hmm. that number was down to 1,000. Wow. And so we literally have decreased the number of youth who are being arrested okay. by 60-something percent. Wow. And it's not just a testament to me, but right. it's a testament to us collaborating right. with the schools, right. with the police, right. with our community-based organizations, right. um, just with the whole community about arresting youth is not the answer. Arresting it's, youth is not the answer. It is not the answer. It doesn't serve. It doesn't right. serve a purpose. Right. And the more that you put a youth in the system, the longer they stay, and the and usually the worse they get. Okay. And so what we have learned, and I, I this is totally under Chief Drake, they are going to start doing diversions by themselves without any court. We're supporting them on how they how they, how we do our diversions. Right. They're they're going to be doing the same, and so. Right. Instead of even thinking about arresting or even giving a citation, they're going to, you get in trouble, you get right. picked up for a shoplifting, we're going to go ahead and send you to this little program. Okay. And you do this program. Okay. And we're good. Okay. Wow. We have diverted about 70% of the cases that get referred to the juvenile court system. And we're diverting them, which means we are not prosecuting. We're not doing a petition. Right. We're not doing anything that, that goes on their record. Right. And we're recommending them right. to work in in programs within right. our community. Right. We have our um, diversion partnership program. We call it our DP2. And so literally, if I have a child that um, is in East Nashville that right. gets a charge sometimes, 
type of charge and we do a risk assessment that's evidence-based mm-hmm. and we determine what their risk level is for them to reoffend. Mm-hmm. We determine what their needs are and based on that risk assessment, we will say, huh, we got this good program over in East Nashville close to the house, doesn't require transportation, doesn't require um, costs or anything. We're going to refer them to that program. Because we know that youth who are working through that problems in the community with support, with help, with mentors are going to keep them out of the system. And that's what we have to do. It's a it's trying to make the community understand that locking people up Uh doesn't solve problems. It doesn't get to the heart of why did that child do this offense? Right. So let's figure out why they did the defense, mm-hmm. and then we can determine what we need to do about it. Last question. You have a lot of power. Um, you are a decision maker in the city of Nashville. Um, how do you make sure that you're using your power in the best way possible that benefits the community, it benefits parents, it benefits kids. So, you know, I, I believe that those who are in power have to use it to, the, to their good right. and to the good of the whole community. For me, it's my spiritual base. And for me, it's knowing that each and every day that I'm doing things that God would be pleased with. Okay. And so that keeps me grounded. Okay. Um, I am in this position because this is the time for season that God put me here. Right. It's nothing I did on my own. Right. Nothing that happened just so happened. Right. But God intentionally had me in this position right. for a reason. Right. And I know each and every day I am here to make decisions that affect positively his community. Mm. And so that's why I strongly believe that every day, as long as I keep God first, right. that I'll be able to use the power that God has given me for the benefit of everybody. Well, there you have it. The Honorable <laughs> Judge Callaway. Uh, we're actually getting applause up in this thing. <laughs> but no, I appreciate it, Judge Callaway. I appreciate who you are as a person. Appreciate how you use your power in the community for Nashville. And I would encourage anybody uh, to reach out to Judge Callaway. Uh, she does a lot of uh, speaking engagement, a lot of programs, a lot of a lot of a lot, a lot of a lot. <laughs> but, you know, whether it's a parent, whether it's, you know, a youth, whether it's uh, a church, whether it's an organization, um, I know she would make herself uh, available um, to best serve Nashville. And, and again, I, I'm, this, this is all about giving people their flowers. Uh, too as well so I want to give you your invisible flowers um, in piece of form just for everything that you do and what you represent for Nashville um, and I'm pretty sure there's a you know there's a young black uh, girl that's looking and this black girl magic and everything and hopefully she feels inspired um, to one day be a judge and, and one day be in a position like yours to create change in that community so I appreciate you I thank you and uh, y'all keep watching Deep Dish Conversations because it's going to get keep, get deeper. Deep, deep, deep. And she did not finish her pizza because she was doing some. She was giving that, that dropping them gems. And I knew she wouldn't finish it. She wanted to take it home. Um, and maybe I'm going to finish it in about an hour. Now, family going to finish it for you. But now, thank you. Uh, and I, we, I, hope, I hope y'all got these gems. We're going to put out a whole tutorial, education tutorial, $5. <laughs>
599 to get how to. I find that ain't how to. But no, thank you. Um, yeah, and that's a wrap. Thank y'all. Thank, thank you. you. Thank awesome. you for having me. Nah, this is this is this was hey this hey this is really good. <laughs>